There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, welcome to this Thursday edition of the Joyce Kaufman Show. And I'm in, I'm in uh, <clears throat> let's see, how would I describe my mood today? I am... I'm sick and tired of people who think that they actually understand things they don't understand. At least I can admit it when I don't understand things, you know? And I seek out experts when I don't understand things. And all of a sudden, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I'm no different than anyone else. In the last couple of weeks, I've become thoroughly, um, I guess, freaked out is the only term I can use about the banking crisis, which nobody wants to continue paying attention to, and artificial intelligence. Like these are some rather major issues and I don't have a tremendous amount of expertise in either of them. And I ju I'm just looking at people, it, it's definitely a game of whack-a-mole. Every time I say, okay, I gotta concentrate on this, something else pops up and I'm distracted from concentrating on any given thing. So I, I don't know what's, uh, what's about to happen, but I'm looking at the New York Post today because one of the experts that I did talk to was my friend Fane Lozman yesterday about artificial intelligence, and I really got him going because he's been texting me all morning with stories. I texted him this morning with this, uh, you know, now we're going to have copyright infringement rules popping up all over the place. There's some artificial intelligence uh, deep fake of Drake, the musician. And, you know, now they're suing. He's suing because it isn't him singing whatever song it is. I, I you know, I wouldn't know a Drake song if it, if it hit me on the head. But uh, maybe I would, but I, you know, I, I can't really uh, call any names <laughs> at, at this point. But apparently uh, somebody went ahead and literally fabricated the, the, the artist doing music, which is pretty scary because it's just pretty scary. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I, I just, I'm convinced, and this is really me um, with my own insecurities, I guess. I'm just convinced that we're too late to stop some of the damage that's about to be happening in this country and all around the world, actually, when it comes to artificial intelligence. So I keep looking for someone to explain to me, you know, how do we circumvent what I think is think of as impending doom. And it was truly um, brought to light, probably in a way that I could understand it, by Elon Musk on these interviews that were conducted by um, Tucker Carlson 
the, over the last couple of days. I have watched the interviews over and over again because I am thoroughly convinced that I need to get up to speed about these things and, and protect myself and, you know, help you to protect yourselves. And then I just get overwhelmed by looking at the stories and realizing, I don't know if there's much we can do. The um, proverbial camel's nose is already under the tent. Uh, the proverbial horse is out of the barn. Let me think if I can think of any other colloquialisms that help you to understand just how late we are to this particular scene and party. Meanwhile, you know, uh, Donald J. Trump, who is, of course, my candidate of choice, is receiving more and more endorsements, particularly from the Florida congressmen and women, which is fascinating because if anybody should be on the side of uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor, you'd think it would be the Florida legislators, but no, today Michael Waltz jumped on board. So endorsements from Brian Mass, from Michael Waltz, these add up and these are significant. And I couldn't uh, be happier about them. But how do we know they're true? <laughs> you know, now I'm like, I'm doubting everything. And you should be too, because this deep fake stuff is scary business. You know, uh, I was looking this morning at some of these uh, news stories that were sent to me on the New York Post. Here's one that shows, uh, let me see if I can pull it up right now, okay. The Schumacher family's planning legal action over AI interview. Now, I'm not, um, I'm not that involved in the story of Michael Schumacher, who happens to be a seven times Formula One race car champion, and he has been literally in an induced coma for the last 10 years, or more than 10 years, and all of a sudden, a German weekly magazine posts a, quote, interview with him that was generated by artificial intelligence. He has not been seen in the public since he suffered the brain injury, a very serious brain injury, in a skiing accident on a family holiday in the French Alps in December of 2013. And his family has guarded his privacy like nothing you can imagine. No one except very close personal friends have been allowed to visit him. And the magazine Die Aktul ran a front cover with a picture of him smiling and the headline promising Michael Schumacher the first interview. And then, of course, it, it sounded deceptively real. The supposed quotes were actually created by artificial intelligence. And this is crazy stuff. Private is private. And now, of course, he's got a son, Mick, who is the Mercedes reserve driver in Formula One. Um, and and this will get a lot of publicity, but it's not true. That was one story. Okay, and then there was another story that was very disturbing or at least it's disturbing me. I don't know. Maybe it's not bothering other people as much as it's bothering me. Google CEO Sundar Pichai warns society to brace for AI acceleration. He admitted Sunday that society will need to prepare 
for rapid advancements in artificial intelligence that are poised to unsettle the job market and exacerbate safety concerns. In an interview on 60 Minutes on Sunday night, which I didn't see, I'm going to try and pull it up later today, he shocked Scott Pelley, the anchor, with a number of bold proclamations about AI's potential applications, declaring that it would affect every product across every company in the near future, and even admitting at one point that Google did not fully understand all aspects of its own systems. He said advanced AI was mostly to cause job losses among so-called knowledge workers, like writers, accountants, architects, and software engineers. At one point during the wide-ranging conversation, Pikai addressed bizarre scenarios in which Google's AI programs have developed emergent properties or learned unanticipated skills in which they were not trained. In one case, a Google program developed the ability to translate the language Bengali despite never being taught the dialect. He admitted that his company's engineers could not fully explain the phenomenon. There is an aspect of this which we call, all of us in the field called it as a black box. You know, you don't fully understand and you can't quite tell why it said this or why it got it wrong. So Scott Pelley asked him, how could you turn this loose on society without understanding the technology? He said, let me put it this way. I don't think we fully understand how the human mind works either. What? You know, th these people, they're having doubts themselves about whether society is ready for this uh, AI impact. This Pikai said, on one hand, I feel no, because, you know, the place at which we think and adapt as societal institutions compared to the pace at which the technology is evolving, there seems to be a mismatch. On the other hand, compared to any other technology, I've seen more people worried about it earlier in its life cycle, cycle rather, so I feel optimistic. The number of people, you know, who have started worrying, I'm one of them, me, Joyce Kaufman, uh, and hence the conversations are starting in a serious way as well. And of course, you've had a tremendous amount of success with OpenAI's uh, ChatGPT, which is the Microsoft-backed one from OpenAI, which was what <laughs> Elon Musk said he started to counteract the fact that Google had all the manpower, all the brain power behind AI. Now, the chatbot, uh, GPT, has gained a massive following because it has human-like responses to various prompts. Even as it exacerbates concerns about potential job losses, and the spread of misinformation. And the contrast is on full display, although the recent actions of Elon Musk, who warns us that AI has the potential for destroying civilization, even as he launches his own AI startup that will directly compete with ChatGPT. He joined with a thousand experts in advocating for a six-month pause in AI development until proper guardrails are in place. How do you have proper guardrails for something you don't understand? When you have the leaders in this industry telling us that there's black boxes, we don't know, we're not sure, how do you have guardrails? You know, and how do you shut it down? The one thing that Musk said was, you know, um, I, I think Tucker asked him, should we just bomb the serving facilities? And he said, no, you don't need to do that, but you're going to have to cut power off to them if we lose control. What does that mean, lose control? 
In other words, when it starts thinking for itself and overriding the commands of the humans that program it. If you're not scared, then you're just stupid. I, I'm sorry, you know, because this is some scary stuff. And it's going on in full view. And nobody seems to be concerned except a handful of, uh, you know, radio and television personalities and, uh, you know, a billionaire genius. Other than that, you know, we're all, uh, we're all just uh, waiting. Waiting to see what the, what's the next mole that we have to whack or what's the next problem that we have to confront. It's a very, very, very dangerous time. And that's why I say, if you're not scared, if you're not nervous, if you're not trying to get up to speed on what does this all mean and how do we circumvent disaster, well then, you just, you're, you're, uh, um, you're not smart enough to listen to this show. Uh, sorry, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't begrudge you your simpleness. I envy you your simpleness. I wish I wasn't smart enough to be as frightened as I am. But that's, you know, that's the position I find myself in. And my job is to make sure you at least know what's going on. And then if you choose not to get interested and not to do any research on your own or just to believe that everything's going to be okay, well, then that's on you. It's not on me. You know, my job is to make sure I bring the stuff up. You know, I'm just responsible for the seed, not the soil. So that, you know, that's how I I lost sleep last night. I woke up this morning and I have spent so many hours on, you know, pursuit of understanding of what's going to happen when AI is unleashed as it is being unleashed on the American public and, you know, how dangerous it is for people who are in the public eye. Look, I'm in a minor role in the public eye, but if you're, you know, uh, a, a, a politician fighting for their life in an election, and artificial intelligence can literally upend your campaign, well, that's pretty much the end of the republic, you know. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not afraid to, to point out that we're in deep trouble. Now the question is, what are we going to do about it? You know, where are the experts and how are we, um, you know, how are we employing their talents? And, and you should be thinking the same way. Um, I got to take a quick break. I'm going to be talking with Blaze and Golia at 12:30. He's up in Tallahassee, and there's a bunch of there's so much stuff going on all over the place. But we got to stay focused, at least now, on what's happening here in Florida. Stay right where you are. I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts happen if they continue down this path of uh, convincing themselves that Joe Biden can be the president of the United States because, you know, just what he's doing, not only is he incoherent a lot of the time, but he, um, he a lot of the time. And for sure, uh, one of the ways he's wrong is on this whole issue of whether or not he's going to be negotiating on this debt ceiling with McCarthy, who, by the way, he uh, he has to negotiate with. He's the Speaker of the House. 
So I'm really interested, and a lot of people understand that I have like a, a, a years, too many years ago to even count. Um, I was part of a, a campaign staff for Robert F. Kennedy when he was running for the presidency. And at the time, I met his son, Robert uh, Kennedy Jr. And we, were, we became good friends, let's put it that way. <laughs> And so I've been really interested following his announcement that he is going to challenge Joe Biden for the presidency. And I watched the speech. He gave it in front of a large standing room only crowd in the grand ballroom of the, uh, I think it was the Park Plaza Hotel in Boston. And he, he said nice things, you know, about Joe Biden, because I think he doesn't want people to think there's too big a difference between them. If they support Biden, he's going to want their support. He didn't want to rock the party's boat any more than necessary. But he's running as a Democrat. And, you know, he, he's, uh, he, he's, he had, what's his name, uh, Dennis Kuczynik, make the introduction to his speech and tell the people what a Kennedy Democrat is. And, you know, I have always said on the air, and people know that I, I have always felt this way, that Dennis Kuczynik is one of the most sincere, authentic liberals in the media. And he's a Democrat from the tip of his toes to the top of his head, which is not a very large distance in Dennis Kuczynik's case. And I'm not making fun of him. He's just a tiny little man. But the truth is, you know, there's parts of RFK that sound more like Donald Trump. than sound like Kennedy's. And that's just the truth. So I don't know. Is Robert Jr. the guy who's going to save the Democratic Party? I guess it's possible. Now I'm talking like him. By the way, he has a disorder, a dysphonia of the larynx. So when people you know, comment on the way he speaks... I think he speaks very well for a person who has that disorder, having had a brief touch of it myself many years ago. The truth is that he sounds a lot more like Donald Trump. And he even, he sounds um, less like Joe Biden than Vivek Ramaswamy sounds more like Joe Biden than RFK Jr. does. When he spoke about our country's destruction, particularly of its young people, when he talks about the COVID-19 vaccines and the lockdowns, and when he related how his uncle, President John F. Kennedy, wanted to break the CIA in a thousand pieces, which, by the way, if you saw the movie uh, JFK by Oliver Stone, you know what I'm talking about, the crowd was cheering. They loved it. It was almost as if the audience of a thousand people that were there was filled with Republicans. And I'm sure that undoubtedly some of the people that were there probably were Republicans. If there was one occupation that predominated in that audience, at least, uh, you know, according to what uh, Roger Simon said, who was there that day, it was doctors, many of whom had lost their licenses to practice or had been censored in the healthcare fascism that went down. And RFK Jr., had become their champion. His campaign was poised to reveal the astonishing level of scientific dishonesty that had caused them so much grief, not to mention their patients. You know, Kennedy's campaign 
much as you might have enjoyed the book, the what was it called? The Real Anthony Fauci told the truth about one of the most horrible people in American history, Anthony Fauci. But, you know, he's trying to do what seems impossible, which is bringing the Humpty Dumpty of America together again. You know, he, he said, during my campaign or during this campaign and during my administration, my objective will be to make as many Americans as possible forget that they are Republicans or Democrats and remember that they are Americans. We need to focus on the values we share instead of the issues that divide us. Yeah, that's cliche. And I'm sure many people have said the same thing, including Barack Obama in his No Red and Blue America, only the United States of America. But then Barack Obama did exactly the opposite. He divided us even further along racial lines and economic lines. And, and then he passed that rancid torch to Biden with Obama continuing to call the shots. Um, even though Joe was uh, pretending to be speaking from his basement. But let me ask this question. If you saw the speech, which I did, did you think that unlike um, President Barack Obama, RFK actually means it? He kept saying, my mission over the next 18 months of this campaign and throughout my presidency will be to end the corrupt merger of state and corporate power. That is threatening now threatening to impose a new kind of corporate feudalism in our country. So if I were Barack Obama or Joe Biden and the rest of the corrupt liars in politics, I'd pay very careful attention. And if I was Donald Trump, I'd pay very careful attention. I'd be scared of RFK Jr. Because as he pointed out in his speech, through Operation Warp Speed, and through the embrace of these mRNA vaccines, you know what? We can't trust anybody. Even those that we might agree with politically. So he's a danger to everybody. Now, of course, maybe I started to think that it would be a, um, a pretty good idea to put RFK on a ticket with Donald Trump. I'm not the first person to have said that either. But, you know, I don't think that'll ever happen. The good news is that this year, for the first time in a long time, there are actual ideas being discussed in the Democratic Party. Not just, we're not Trump. We're not Republicans. We're not conservatives. It may even, you know, be reformed. The whole party may be reformed by a Kennedy. Go figure. Maybe they'll bring it back down to earth from the craziness of woke politics where nobody could even tell you what a woman is and where they try to convince you that it's okay to castrate little kids or that it's that men can be pregnant or that you know female athletes don't have any rights. The American people as a whole can only benefit from this campaign. That's my feeling. Kennedy may actually save the Democratic Party from itself. And while that's not good news for Republicans, I don't know. I think people are seeking something different, something new. What is it that uh, Vivek Ramaswamy calls it? He says they're hunt they want fresh legs. Now, of course, he was talking about himself, not Kennedy, but I think it's true. 
So it's going to be very interesting. I'm very interested anyway. And as I said, I have more than a, a passing notion of who RFK Jr. is. Um, and he is very bright, very determined, and he may be more successful than people expect. Don't forget to download our app, the 850 WFTL app, so you can participate in all our contests and maybe win a four-pack to the SunFest. And you can also go to the website. If you don't have the app, go to 850WFTL.com. Stay where you are. I'll be coming back with Blaze and Golia from Tallahassee and see what's going on in the legislature. I'll be right back. All righty then, and welcome back. As promised, um, we had a, a little interruption of my being able to check in with the Florida State Senator Blaze and Golia. He's actually working. I know that's hard to believe that a politician might actually be working and therefore not appear on a radio program, since it seems to me, Blaze, that half of the politicians in Tallahassee and in Washington just spend more time talking to the press than they do actually uh, trying to put legislation forward. So I'm glad you're not one of them. How are you? I'm well, and, and thank you for that. Where do I send a check for the promotion? <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Hey, listen, I'm not easily impressed, so trust me, the audience knows when I say it, I mean it. But I'm I'm chuckling because this morning, of course, everybody was awakened at 4.45 by uh, one of these, what do you call them, like uh, emergency alerts? Emergency alerts, yeah. Yeah. So what happened? I mean, yeah, I was, I was surprised. 4.45 a.m., I was woken up out of a deep sleep. Um, I I work late, so I was. I think I went to bed probably around midnight, reading uh, legislation uh, and preparing for the next day. And 4:45, I jumped out of bed, literally jumped out of bed with this alert. And I thought I did something wrong. Um, <laughs> I thought maybe I re I set my alarm wrong. But when I looked, I said this is an emergency alert. And then when I went on Twitter, when I eventually woke up about an hour later, I realized that everyone got this. And I said, look, I said I don't know if this is a mistake or not. But I want to make sure that this doesn't happen again. So I went on Twitter this morning and um, a little tongue in cheek, but but with all seriousness, I said, I'm going to introduce a bill either next session or I'm going to try to file an amendment on a bill that's moving this session saying that you cannot do any of these emergency tests between these hours of 10 p.m. and 8 a.m. Uh, it's a little ridiculous. And I'm going to name it the Stop Wake Act. <laughs> so make sure that they don't do this. Yeah, because normally those things happen on television. So unless you happen to be up and watching television, it would not disturb you. But to send these alerts to the phone is very scary. Yeah, I think that was the original intent. They were supposed to send it through the TV, but they didn't. They send it through the phone. Um, I believe the person uh, is being relieved from his or her duties now. So <laughs> unfortunately, they've lost their position uh, to do that. Um, but, but what's really scary about this is that I had my phone on Do Not Disturb, and I also had the alerts for tests shut off, and it oh, wow. still came through. And I know there's a lot of people out there we're in the same situation. So it's a little scary. Now, I don't know if it's, I use an iPhone. I don't know if it's an iPhone vulnerability or government has a way of 
uh, surpassing all of that and still sending the information through. But it was a little scary this morning. Yeah, it is. And I know that uh, one of our reps down here, Chip LaMarca, jumped on board this, as did one of the House bills, uh, who wa- one of the House members who wants to help sponsor the bill on that side said, hey, I got a yep. newborn baby. This is a family-friendly amend- amendment. Yep, and uh, if we can't find a vehicle this session, then I'm going to take uh, Representative LaMarker on his, um, I'm going to take him up and I'm going to have him file the House sponsor and we'll get this done. Yeah, listen, uh, it, there's a lot going on in the state of Florida and a lot of it uh, impacts the whole country. And I don't think people realize that, that this uh, Disney agreement and all that's going on regarding that Reedy Creek, it, it really, it sets a precedent. Uh, across the country. People want to make it into, oh, it's a big battle between the governor and Disney. But it's really bigger than that. Disney's a corporation that's headquartered in California. It is. It's headquartered in California, and they're going down a road that I don't think many Floridians like. It's not that I don't think. I know that many Floridians don't like. I've actually seen polling on this. Um, Disney's lost a lot of money by doing some of the stuff, they've lost a lot of the capitalization in the marketplace, tens of billions of dollars in market cap. And you remember, this all started off because Disney, basically, in coming out against the, the parental rights and education bill, Disney agreed with teaching sexual orientation and gender identity to kids as young as five years old. That is what this all this whole thing is about. Let's not forget that. Yeah. Now, through all the rhetoric and then trying to dub the bill along with other uh, leftist activists, don't say gay bill, this was a bill that became law that was meant to protect parents uh, and children, and they stood against it. And one of the reasons why they were able to is because the state of Florida years ago allowed them to become so powerful by virtue of them allowing to self-govern themselves. This is a corporation that allowed, under current law, to build its own nuclear plant, to inspect its own rides, to, um, if they wanted to build something, to build and issue the permit themselves, take away their neighbor's property through eminent domain. This is an immense amount of power that was not afforded to any of the other theme parks just Disney. So when Florida finally stood up and said, hey, um, we're going to take away your self-governing authority and we're going to return the power to the people and form a new oversight board, they didn't like it. And what did they do? Right before the new board was about to take place, they actually took all of that, inf- they took all that power back and right. gave it back to another uh, organization within Disney. Right. And this week, we took a stance against that against that i filed an amendment in in uh in committee yesterday that basically said that any of those um agreements are null and void and the new board has an opportunity to look at those agreements and they can decide whether they want to adopt those agreements or reject those agreements look disney has been an economic powerhouse in the state for years they have done a lot of good over the years but they're going down a path uh, sort of the way Budweiser and Bud White are going down a path that regular people just don't agree with. They are listening to a small group of leftist activists, and they, in turn, are pushing 
an ideology on people that people just don't simply want to be pushed on them. Right. And, you know, I'm still amazed when I have to fight back against people who don't see the difference between, you know, uh, having a conversation about gender with me and having a conversation about gender with my three-year-old or five-year-old or even 10-year-old grandchildren. Um, that That's not a conversation that schools should be involved in in any case. And when the governor had the, you know, the presence of mind to step forward, why would a corporation that makes its money off families try to get between parents and their children? Because that's all I see. I mean, saying it's that's okay to teach. That's a good question. Teach. It's because they become ideologically driven. Ugh. And um, the ideology to them is more important than profit. And look, this has nothing to do with the left or, or liberals like newspapers for the same thing. Newspapers would, would print all their dribble um, that nobody agreed with, and people stopped buying papers to the point where they, they basically um, put themselves out of, out of existence. Instead of adopting policies for papers of what people wanted to read, they just kept on with the leftism, and then they put themselves into, into bankruptcy. That's what's happening with some of these larger corporations. Now, some of these corporations will survive. But some of them are going to be severely economically hurt by some of this. Look, and, and Joyce, I want to be clear here. Um, the vast majority of Republicans, including me, we are libertarians on the issue. We don't care. We don't care what you have as a lifestyle. We don't care if you're gay. We don't care if you're trans. Where we draw the line is don't push the ideology on me because this is no longer about acceptance. It's about submission. Right. When I have to pick up a can of Bud Light, not that I drink that anyway, right. and see Bill, uh, Dylan Mulvaney on it, you're probably crossing a line when you are mandating to me that I should call you by your preferred pronouns. You are crossing the line. And this is the part that Disney and the left and some of these local corporations have not gotten through their heads yet that we simply don't care, don't push it on us. That's when we push back. And I think that, you know, I'm particularly disappointed in um, the, the so-called feminist movement that I was definitely a part of. My class at uh, Brooklyn College was the first class where Title IX allowed me to get a scholarship to go to school. And so I relish the fact that uh, we have made these kinds of accommodations for women. And to now look at women being forced to compete against men and me being told that if I don't think that's a good idea or if I don't accept trans athletes as whatever pronouns they decide they are, that there's something wrong with me. You know, uh, where's the feminist movement? Where are the our legislators standing up for girls who finally had a chance? Met, I could not have gone to college otherwise. My family could not have sent me to college. So I'm really, I, I, I'm angry at organizations that used to represent me and now have gone in the complete opposite direction. I, I, I just don't get it. Yeah, I mean, look, if something bothers you, right, that's your problem. It doesn't have to be our problem. And, uh, you know, the women in sports thing, it's, it's the women in sports and, and the trans athletes in sports right now, it really is just mind-boggling how the left has just accepted that. And to your point, Joyce, has sort of eroded years, decades of, of women's rights and Title IX. You know, women's sports 
these days are uh, there's not supposed to be a retirement plan for failed male athletes. And that's right. basically what it's turned into. Yes. And it's just there's so much risk of injury. I mean, you know, I, I, I came into, uh, you know, a championship basketball team that year. But, you know, the biggest girl on our team was 5'8". You know, how do you compete against yeah. a six foot four guy? Hey, Joyce, how, how about this? I'm okay with trans women competing in women's sports as long as I'm allowed to bet on them. If I can bet on them, I'm <laughs> fine. That's a joke, Joyce. I'm just I kidding. know, I know. But it's good. It, it drives home the point, which is what I'm talking about. And that's why all of yep. this stuff, whether it's Disney or Bud Light or any other corporation, they're not speaking to the majority of American people. Um, and I, I just don't understand how less than 1% of the population has ended up controlling the way we talk about this issue. It's mind-boggling to me. That's um, because we have a small minority of people wielding way too much power in public discourse. That's for sure. And, uh, you know, after watching the, the way this uh, trial just uh, ended in, with Dominion against uh, Fox, I'm really scared for my profession because now anything you say on the radio, I can be held accountable for. Essentially, that's what was happening in this lawsuit. Um, whether or not I agree with you, if I don't counter whatever you say, then somehow me and the station and Hubbard Radio are going to be responsible for that. These are really dangerous times for the media and for free speech in general. And, and I didn't even get into AI, but we'll talk about that the next time. You got it. All right. Thanks it. so Always much. Always a pleasure to be with you. And just, Joyce, and yeah. to everyone listening, look, we just need to continue to fight. Never give up. Never right. back down. Don't let the left, Don't let the left win. We won't. Thanks a lot. Senator Blaze Ingolia, uh, always a welcome guest on the program. Well, we're heading towards this uh, final segment of the program, but before we get there, I want to remind you that Dan Bongino is coming up at 1 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, Ben Shapiro will come on board. And then at 6 o'clock, the WPTV News and uh, Bill O'Reilly. And then tomorrow morning, Jen and Bill will be back to wrap up the week. I can't believe it's already... Thursday. I just, I don't know where this week went, but uh, you stay right where you are. I've got one segment left. So we really don't know how this uh, Supreme Court case uh, about the abortion pill um, is, is going to finally uh, resolve itself because the order was extended till midnight, I believe, tomorrow. It was set to expire on April 19th. It was a, a lower court ruling that would have restricted access to, I never know if I'm pronouncing it right, mifeprestone, which is the pill that's used to terminate pregnancies. And apparently the uh, district court judge ruled that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration violated its legal duty to evaluate the safety when it approved the abortion pill back in 2022. And so the judge had ordered a pose, or ordered a pause, pose, I'm turning into Madonna on the air, had ordered a pose until there was a complete approval. An appeals court panel said the ruling was too broad but kept in place the part that rolled back actions the FDA took in 2016 and more recently that loosened the restrictions on mifeprestone, whatever, the, the abortion pill. Uh, 
including the action that enabled dispensation by mail. The panel found that the government hadn't proven that the FDA's actions were not arbitrary and capricious, which prompted the Department of Justice and Danco Laboratories, which makes the pill, to ask the Supreme Court, the nation's top court, to step in. And absent an emergency stay, the pill wouldn't be available for some time, likely months. Government lawyers and attorneys um, representing the, the pharmaceutical company, Danco, told the court uh, they want to revise to pre-2016 standards, and that would mean widespread changes, including alterations to product labels and promotional materials. And once the changes were made, there might be more changes, depending on what the rulings are that have been handed down. The Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine, which brought the case, said blocking the earlier rulings would endanger women because the pill isn't safe and would lead to doctors having to deal with women who were harmed by the drug. So we'll see. Um, Justice Alito stayed the lower court rulings, and he entered the stay and the extension because he's the judge that oversees the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Each justice handles these emergency requests from one or more appeals court. Now, Alito can ultimately decide whether to reject or approve the applications for an emergency stay, or he can refer them to the full court. And if he does that, you would need five justices to approve an application. Some lawmakers and abortion advocates have proposed ignoring any court orders restricting access to the pill, while others have said orders should be followed. The FDA commissioner, Dr. Califf, told senators on Capitol Hill that the agency intends to comply with any court orders. And then, of course, since the stay, there have been tons of filings urging the high court to side with one party or the other. It's uh, just amazing the level of uh, just heatedness around this issue. I mean, with people unable on both sides to even have discussion about it, it's really kind of mind-boggling. But uh, there again, now the um, the the controversy that's been surrounding Diane Feinstein is really interesting, since you know Joe Biden is in just as bad shape. I mean, he's not quite as old, but he is literally. Um, incoherent a lot of the time. I, you know, I don't have to hear Diane Feinstein talk that much, but it's just fascinating to me that they're so gung-ho about getting her out of office and they're, you know, literally going to run this guy again. You know, all of those, you know, quotes that he makes up that, that you know, my mother said, my father said that we find out were not true. Um, you know, now he was over in Ireland making more stuff up about family members saying things, and, you know, it's just painful to, to watch his videos. And, you know, when at least when I read the transcripts, I see that, uh, you know, that, that th there's a little coherence. It's just not enough, you know. But that's the way it is, and that's who we have right now as president of the United States. It's all right. Move aside because I know who 47 should be. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. And my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon. That's if it is his will 
and he delays his coming. You know, I was thinking, that was how Norm Kent used to end his shows. I actually stole that from him. Not the uh, part about if it be his will, but he always used to say, uh, you know, thank you for your time this time until next time. And, you know, maybe that's going to be my tribute forevermore to my dear departed friend, Norm Kent. But in any way, my plan is to be back here tomorrow, if it be his will, and he delays his coming. And what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. May God bless you, and may God bless the United States of America. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.